Welcome back to the crux of the matter. I'm Landon Connor. And I'm Riley Stansbury. And you guys are in for a treat. This is episode 14. Right now, the working title is The Value of Work. You'll find out when it's done. But it has been a surprisingly long time since we've had a real podcast episode uh, in the traditional sense. And so we just looked at the date, and it was December 10th, which is not mm. right. September 10th. Yeah. Yes. Well, oh. in September, we had episode 13 with friend of the show, Kryptos, mm-hmm. uh, which we recommend everyone check out. That was a interesting episode. Um, but that was the last time we did a formal episode. In between there, we did do, in December, we did a review of Angel Studios' The Shift, which we would recommend you check out. There are a lot of spoilers, so if you want to see the movie, then I would, you know, maybe not watch the podcast first. Um, it's Be more warned. A, yeah, but if you're planning on not, not ever watching it, which you're wrong, or if you already have watched it, then we'd recommend you uh, take a peek at that episode. And then I also, over the break, uh, released a Substack article called C.S. Lewis, Modern Prophet and Secret Dissident. And uh, there's audio readings of that on our YouTube, Spotify, etc. Um but as far as actual crux of the matter episodes go, it's been since last September, and now we're in 2024. So yeah, big leap year. So we hope to leap ahead in the <laughs> podcast results. I want to congratulate Riley. I think you just hit 600 Substack followers. Is that, or 600 Twitter, Twitter, followers, Twitter followers. But well we done. hit over 100 Substack uh, 100 subscribers, Substack. Um, which I don't think I've even announced to anyone. So thank you everyone who follows us on Substack, um, especially if yes. you're listening to this whenever it's released on Substack, we're very grateful for you. That's awesome. Wow. So yeah, big things. We're glad you're here. And for work, I think this was the topic we chose because it is just so relevant. It can encapsulate everything we do, waking and sleeping. Because I just want to start and ask the question, what is the first thing on your mind when you lay down in bed? And what is the first thing on your mind when you wake up in the morning? And if it is the dread or concern or flashbacks to your day at work, I think that's pretty normal. But is that healthy? And is that where you want to be? And et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And it's something that I have had be a very personal thing in my life because from a very young age, I always saw as pursuing the best of your work is something that was kind of the highest value a person can have in this world uh, still, yeah, growing up in a Christian home and yet having a sense of like, do better, do better. Sports become a thing where it's like, be the best. Academics becomes be the best. And it wasn't until kind of middle of my high school career and still even coming into college, I still had these misconceptions about how work led to my identity. And it could have led me down a very, very dark path when you start having failures become much more present, especially in the challenges of college where you have a letter that is on an A through F scale that really determines how your identity is based on, and that can be world-shattering. And I think that if I had taken, say, physics with calculus before coming to that realization, I can understand how college students become so isolationist and just go down this dark path of really mental emergencies and emotional crises and start... Uh, just lashing out in different ways or partaking in things that are not healthy for them just because they're trying to find ways to cope. And if any of this resonates with you, yeah, I want you to pay attention because through that process, I started asking myself, what is it that I'm working for? And slowly, slowly, slowly learning to accept 
that the value of myself is not in the work that I do. And it is something that I see time and time again in this younger generation of people seeing that their value, that their worth in this society of kind of this level of meritocracy and mixed in with, I guess, the capitalist underpinnings and kind of peer pressures and kind of pride and greed and this American dream, uh, cue back to episode mm-hmm. five. Uh, that was a long time ago. All of these different influences really shape how we view work and how I have pursued the epitome, what I thought was pursuing the doctorhood mantle. Uh, become a physician. It is this like most respected work in America. This is what's going to challenge you. It's going to make you better. You're going to be able to serve others. But when my identity became so consumed in that, uh, I found myself yeah at a loss for where my actual fundamental core identities should have lied. And I don't know if you've had a similar story, Riley. Yeah, so picking up on your question there, I think uh, I, I've seen people be, there's, there's kind of like two versions of people that I always see when it comes to this work thing. Mm-hmm. One of them are the people who are workaholics and they're putting their heart, time, effort, blood, money, and you know, everything into doing something and being the best at it. And, you know, being a collegiate athlete, both of us here, um, we sort of know this. We know the people who are the number one on whatever given, you know, the football team or the basketball team or the golf team. And those people are, they eat, sleep, and breathe it, you know, for (laughs) for lack of a better term, which, you know, it's cliche, but it's true. Like, literally every waking moment is spent thinking about that thing. And, you know, for me, like, I'm a, I'm a, I don't want to say I'm really good, but I'm a fairly good golfer. And like, you know, this is, it will just like start occupying my mind and I'll come out here in the living room and I'll start (laughs) swinging my club because I'm so, you know, I'm so bored or it's just, it's just a way for me to, you know, go back to what I'm comfortable with. So in other words, like work instead of other parts of your life, like play, which, you know, the collegiate sport example is maybe not the best example is something that we all we all give a lot of time to. And so there's that, there's that one kind of person, the workaholic. So sports is the example that we use, but everyone can think of a person like that who's a workaholic, the person who, you know, maybe And you're, notice how you probably look up to them, right? You yes. never think down like, oh, they just don't spend time with their family. They work too much. Because there is a little bit of that, but usually the ideals mm-hmm. put them on a pedestal. Yeah, I noticed that as a society. It's like, oh, you know, my grandpa worked at the, you know, Ford factory or something in Detroit, Michigan. And, you know, he worked long hours there and he, you know, was up way before everyone else was up. And he was already at work when all the kids were waking up Mm. and he came home, you know, when it was dark, you know, after dinner. And like that's we admire that person because they're making a life for their family and that's good. But it's also there's kind of this sneaking in question of is that you know, is it healthy for you to spend 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week working in like one hour in church and a couple hours with your family? Um, And there's there's all, so there's that at one end of the spectrum, the workaholics. workaholics. And we go all the way back over to the other end and there's this kind of, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's just kind of a sentiment that people have in the way that they think about it, especially has become attached to millennial, which I think is funny, but like the idea, oh, these kids nowadays, they're so lazy, they don't work, you know, et cetera. And it's true. Um, Now, 
younger generations are working less and less in the workplace than older generations. Millennials are working less hours than baby boomers, but part of that is also the the economy is way different than it was in the nineteen you know eighties. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty hugely different <laughs> actually from where it was in the nineteen eighties. Um, and so, how much of it is how much of the perception that it's exists macroeconomic driven? Right. How much how much society. of it is is true and how much of it is like a straw man like how much of it is hey you're like doing the bare minimum you're barely doing your job you don't do anything to go above and beyond avocado toast etc cetera, etc cetera. <laughs> or is it like um you know like actually you know i just wanted to like spend time with my kids and i <laughs> wanted to spend time with my family and eat a meal with my family and not eat mcdonald's every night because i'm working you know 11 hours a day at given corporate office. So um, that's one of the things that I think we can talk about today. And I think the core issue, because again, this is the crux of the matter, becomes this underlying question of, is selflessness the only virtue? Because whether you are a workaholic and you are appearing completely selfless, you're sacrificing so much so that you can either support a family or you can become an inspiration to others or you can advance a field, and on the flip side of kind of the less uh, traditionally driven, working the bare minimum type job, where their selflessness comes in maybe the aspect of saying, okay, I don't care to advance the field. I want to spend more time with my family. I want to better myself. I want to spend more time in my home, improving myself in a different way. And it becomes less optically uh, workaholic-like, but it is selfless in a different way. Because I think we see both sides. People mm-hmm. can become so caught up in their work that it actually becomes a selfish act. And people can also become so slothful that they become selfish in their laziness. So, uh, yeah, I really want to ponder that question of, is selflessness the only virtue or is there more to the value of work? Mm-hmm. Um, and so turning towards the modern culture, uh, we described how yeah, our personal stories grew up. I saw that sacrifice, delay your gratification. That's the key to success. Pursue it wholeheartedly. I'm still on the pre-medical path. And so seeing it's a conscious daily question of saying, do I want to accept hustle culture today and feel like every moment that I'm not doing something, I'm missing out on something I should be doing? Because that's a very harmful thought as well. And it, it almost becomes a guilty conscience thing, I think, when you're saying, oh, I should be doing something. Oh, I should be studying for the MCAT. Oh, I should be working on this homework versus saying no. Rest is a good value to have, to take this time to actually rest, to actually meet with friends, to build community. And so hustle culture is this term that we've seen grow and just blossom in the mid-210s. Now it's kind of fallen off and we see this new thing called quiet quitting we'll talk about soon. But I think of the epitome, Ty Lopez. I don't know how many people have seen his ads. He's the guy who's like, you want this job or this Lamborghini? I'll teach you how to get this Lamborghini. And it becomes this whole <laughs> realm of affiliate marketing and working the wake up at 5 a.m. every morning and go to bed at midnight, if not later, and just sacrifice your life to save all your money into this one kind of entrepreneurial pathway to basically become someone consider a pyramid scheme, someone consider a legitimate business, <laughs> to then have this generation of kids 
especially the influencers, say, oh, look, I bought a Lambo at 21. Oh, look at me. I sacrificed and am now this entrepreneur legend because of this hustle culture. Mm -hmm. I just grind. I grind away. Uh, And I saw myself very much drawn to that early on. I'm like, wow, I can just work harder and success comes. Like, I'm willing to sacrifice that. Uh, Not realizing that it takes away a part of yourself that you won't get back if you do fully succumb to it. Uh, And then seeing hustle culture on a different level is kind of in your average life. So are you constantly having this need to keep your head above water financially? So sometimes hustle culture becomes a necessity. It's saying that the world we live in is so expensive or the things you are not willing to sacrifice become higher than your means to get them. So then you feel like you have to work a full-time job, a part-time job, try to spend time with family, and it's like, I can't wear that many hats. Mm. And that becomes a much more personally challenging question. How do you best manage that? And I think that's where either the church is supposed to step in, a good family structure that not everyone has should help, um, and sacrifices sometimes have to be made. Um, And then... Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. I can give you an example of this. I mean, we had uh, we had a community group for a couple of years. Um, we're not in one currently, but we were in one for a very long time. And one of the families in our community group had some, you know, younger kids. And so, you know, when they like had when they had babies, like their dad was working like an insane schedule. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he's like a he's one of the engineers who helps design bridges. I think I can't I can't remember. Oh. But he's, you know, he's got one of those jobs that requires him to be away from home a lot and to work a lot of hours. And so also I think his, his wife may have worked part-time as well. But basically they just didn't have time to like make food for themselves between the work and the baby and the church and everything. So our community group would take turns throughout the week, I think four or five days out of the week, and we would go and bring them a lunch or a dinner or something wow. that we had made. And so I know That's my cool. mom helped with that a lot. Um, God bless her. I love my mom. But that's just kind of an example of the kind of insane burden that the modern world like puts on people mm-hmm. um, to to have to be working that many hours and to have your wife be working and you know be taking care of a baby. Like I have no idea how outside of the church they possibly could have managed that. To be honest with you, yeah, without some sort of community to actually be that shoulder to hold mm-hmm. on to, yeah. And you wonder why there is such depression and uh, so many ailments in this culture and mm-hmm. is it going to improve if we don't change something i don't think so uh, and so yeah that's a great example on the flip side we see this new thing called quiet quitting and i think this is the secular response to saying okay something's wrong with hustle culture i don't know what it is but i don't want to place my life's value in the work that i do so i'm just going to do the bare minimum to stay hired but i really don't care about anything else i actually care more about what i do outside my work that's my life And I think it's amazingly uh, remarkable and very predictable how society tends to swing on a pendulum, one extreme, and then Mm -hmm. immediately flip to the other extreme. (laughs) It's never this kind of gradual movement anymore in this uh, post-dot-com day and era because we now see TikTok, I think. I'm not on it. It's technically illegal for the military. (laughs) But you see... uh, people's reactions on it, creating new trends. And you can see these trends almost perfectly predict where our generation of Gen Z and even millennials are going to follow. Mm-hmm. And so there was this term called quiet quitting that started, I think, during the pandemic, maybe slightly after, where people started 
making these videos saying that they're going to do the bare minimum at work. And in that, that means you don't have loyalty to the company you're working at, or if you're self-employed to your own uh, kind of flourishing of the business. And two, where does your work then kind of lie on your value system? Is the work you do just to get a paycheck? Because if that's the only thing you're doing work for, you're going to be a miserable person. Uh, but that's kind of what quiet quitting is kind of embodied. This sense of, okay, I'm here just because I have to, have to work to get paid. But what I do with my free time, my non-working time, that's what really matters. And I also don't think that's the complete solution. Uh, you really have to find some sort of balance between them. And we see that this is the secular response to an unhealthy work relationship. Yeah. And self-improvement books, I think, try to speak to this with saying, okay, here's your work-life balance. Here's how you make more with the time you have. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I am not as familiar with quiet quitting. Like Landon, I made the sensible choice, and I am not on TikTok. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, it did make it into some mainstream publications, and the thing about the discourse, uh, capital D, trademark, comma, copyright, uh, is that it, like, it makes it on a Twitter. And so, like, I saw some of this quiet quitting stuff. I wasn't even remotely interested, so I like <laughs> ignored it. But I'm, I've made myself mildly familiar with the phenomenon for the purposes of this episode. And uh, now I recall that, like, the quiet quitting thing it was happening during COVID. And I think it, there are even New York Times articles about it. So probably five whole people know about it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I did, I did see the phenomenon happening. And I think, as usual, the secular world, like, people have moral instincts individually. They have a conscience. But the secular world has no good philosophical underpinnings to explain why something is wrong or why it shouldn't be happening. So... You know, it's just going to keep being, like you said, like a pendulum. It's just going to be trends back and forth between, you know, generations that work 90 hours a week like the boomers and people who try to do the bare minimum at work like, you know, like our generation, unfortunately. But uh, I think that grounding ourselves in a historical perspective and more importantly in a biblical perspective will kind of, uh, it'll help us to be able to evaluate how modern work or whether, rather, whether modern work is good from a, a clear, a clear lens. Yeah, that's true. And seeing, uh, also, I think looking at the pandemic, just like most things, it has really both accelerated the trends that were already happening, and also seemed to widen uh, and further divide things at a faster rate. And work is no exception. We see that as the boomer generation who a lot of them tended to work into retirement age, whether because of necessity or because of will, they ended up being almost forced out due to the pandemic. And then we saw so many, like for hiring, we're mm -hmm. hiring, we're hiring signs mm -hmm. that were never filled. And for over a year back in my home, I could have probably applied to 10 jobs and all gotten them because they were just so desperate. Uh, and it kind of asked this larger question in the economy of saying, okay, where are the young generation and why are they not working? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's another question to ask. It's saying, do we have the structure for that or was our work kind of so dependent on the older generation staying working that the fast food business industry, the healthcare industry, the uh, service industry, the travel industry, the leisure, whole income uh, industry, they all were so reliant on that generation 
that the younger generation cannot feasibly step in to fill it. Mm -hmm. And I think we've seen that kind of abate, you know. Mm -hmm. I still see quite a few for hiring signs. Uh, It's not as insane as it was, but, like, I remember even here, just in our little college town here, I mean, there's not a single thing that was open during COVID past 9 p.m. That's That's insane for me. Hours got... Cut, yeah, know. I mean, I mean, because they literally don't have enough people to work. Um, and I think I can't even remember where I was going a couple months ago, but I had planned on going somewhere because their hours said they were open and they were like closed, like they don't not enough staff. And then I was like, <laughs> that's insane. But also, if there are all these open jobs, why aren't people filling them? And you know, part of it is that GDP is kind of fake, because <laughs> like a lot of our economy is like really you know fake email jobs where people are getting paid a lot of money to do basically nothing um just just one example of how like gp doesn't measure success like if you hire a babysitter or caretaker or maid or whatever um or butler if you're i don't know if they still have those (laughs) Um, but if you you hire one of those to like help you take care of your residents and your children or you know hiring a home cook this happens a lot Mm -hmm. um especially in like the sports world i'm more aware of this people hiring personal trainers and chefs yeah. like that, um, that is contributing to the economy. But if you can cook for yourself and train yourself and raise your kids yourself, that's not showing up in the economy because that's not a job and that's not, that's not money exchanging from one hand to the other, even though the same thing is being done. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, GDP is like a whole thing and there have been entire books written about how real or fake it is and that's not the conversation for this episode. Mm-hmm. But it's just worth noting, like, how, like, if there are all these open jobs and there are all these young people available to fill them, why is nobody filling them? Yeah, yeah, one possible explanation. Uh, and then also seeing just, yeah, the general trends we're kind of continuing with uh, in society is saying, okay, so now we're in this quiet quitting situation. Is it going to change again back to hustle culture as we see the U.S. on a power uh, play, we have to keep our seemingly like dominance in society. Uh, and that is, I guess, just kind of an accepted belief that a lot of Americans tend to hold is, okay, we need to work to stay ahead of our adversaries, say China as they're growing their military or say this. And so we see almost a preservation quality to it. It's almost be, it becomes more of a survival instinct to say, okay, we need to work harder, uh, which I'm curious if it's actually played back to the Protestant work ethic which I think we'll discuss later mm-hmm. uh, on uh, in the times where it's necessary to work harder, uh, you do. And so maybe we're seeing just not the necessity. And so, of course, our generation saying, okay, if I don't need to, then I'm not going to. Uh, and yeah, that has its own benefits and negatives. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're questions. Yeah. So the question is, where is work going? And uh I guess we can kind of move into the history of work, unless we you have anything else to say more about the modern. No, I don't. I don't think I do. I think it should. It would be good though to move to the historical lens, so we can kind of frame for the audience um, how much work that we actually do. So we grab a couple stats here. Um, the average American nowadays, and this is from twenty twenty one, so it's a couple years old, but it's still within five years, so it's fairly accurate. Um, the average hours that the your American works is about forty hours a week. Um, it's like what is it? Yeah, it's thirty. It was thirty eight point seven hours, and it's forty and a half for men and thirty six point six for women. So 
um, 40 hours a week. It's, it's not insane and it feels manageable to a lot of people. To other people, it feels overwhelming. Um, but if you're not aware of the historical frame of how much work people did in the past, uh, then you actually have no idea whether you're doing too much work or too little. You just have to go off intuition, which fine, like trust your gut, but also like <laughs> your gut is <laughs> reference it. Yeah. You're only, it's, it's only for your initial instinct. You still have to go and seek out the information. And so a perfect example here, um, the average American in 1987 worked about 1949 hours annually, 1,949. Yeah, so almost 2,000 hours. Yeah. And the adult, an adult male peasant in 13th century England would have racked up about 1,620 hours yearly. <laughs> so, you know, over 300 hours less a year. And we have this conception, especially especially progressive people or people who talk about how great capitalism is and everything before capitalism and democracy sucked. And then when we got the two of them, it, we're just, we're basically in a utopia now. Francis Fukuyama, we're at the end of history, that sort of thinking. Um, mm. And they kind of have to obscure things like this because the truth is, is that even though medieval peasants were doing, you know, quote unquote, harder labor, they were doing a lot less of it. And even the harder thing doesn't make sense. I mean, a medieval peasant would suck at, you know, at your average email job. But also, <laughs> if you took 100 people from a big corporation and told them, this is what you're going to do now, you're going to farm potatoes, they would suck at it. So they would both suck out of their context. The beauty of humanity is that we're extremely adaptable. So I don't even think the harder, quote-unquote, work angle is good. I think yeah. that it just worked less. <laughs> and then the other thing is that People nowadays, I mean, there are the, I offered this example earlier of someone who would have worked at the Ford factory getting up before dawn and coming home late. Uh, there's just a lot less time to spend with your family and in your church community, which is what you should be doing. If you feel like you need an explanation for that, then maybe we need an episode on why those things are good, but I think it's self-explanatory that it's good to be with your family. It's good to form not just artificial but real bonds with people which is real community, talking to people face-to-face, -face, knowing about all the things that make them tick, all the things that went bad for them in their lives, all the things that make them laugh and happy, and all the things that you can do to help them. Um, and, you know, this is the one shortfall of having phones and email and a modern economy is that we don't do real community anymore. And this is the thing. The medieval peasant, despite working in the field and plowing his oxen and doing whatever or doing you know, handmade textiles and such, they would have been hanging out in community with all the people in their local town or village, or at least if they lived out in the sticks in the middle of nowhere, at least with their family. And they would have eaten, if not every meal together, which was the case in most societies, especially like Italy, where, you know, this communal eating together has like uh, been a tradition for a long time. But even in those communities where it's, every single meal you're sitting down, uh, there's other ones where at least at the bare minimum you would have eaten dinner every night with your family. How many people do you know who actually get to eat dinner every night with their family? Yeah, I can't say I know for sure, but I know my family has declined in that mm -hmm. in recent years, and it is kind of not existent. Anymore. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that you know I love when I'm back home is me and my family will, I mean, it's tough with school and everything, for both me and my siblings, but we do 
every night sit down and have dinner. A lot of the time we'll have friends over. Um, my uncle will come over. We'll invite tons of people over. So it's good to be in real community with people and laughing and joking and uh, making fun of your friend's ugly mug or whatever. But, you know, like it's kind of a, it, the, the burden that modern work puts on people is not, I don't think it's talked about nearly enough. Yeah, and I think that's a great segue into this differentiation of work and non-work life, mm-hmm. how it's become so much more blended. Yeah. So you mentioned a great point when we were discussing earlier about how the invention of the telephone, especially the personal pocket iPhone or Samsung or whatever it is, and then having your computer and then having pretty much instant access to your workplace anywhere you go. Why do people take so much value in camping and retreats and leaving cell service? Well, it's because you cannot get called there saying, oh, I'm sorry, we need you to come into the office, mm-hmm. which sucks if they do call you and you can't go in. But uh, there's different things that we need this actual rest and break from mm-hmm. as people to recover and rejuvenate, where the modern technology makes that much less likely. Yeah. And with that lack of differentiation, that's where we see a lot of burnout. I think burnout is going to be an increasing topic, especially in the medical field where I'm hoping to be in. Mm. We see that people are not able to decompress from it. They feel forever tied to that work, and now it pulls them in at any waking moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we also see, as the U.S. becomes so much more service-based and not manufacturer-based, the work is never done Mm -hmm. because people are never fully satisfied. (laughs) And that's kind of the core issue in that a society that is modern and advanced like the U.S., we no longer are creating the widgets at the widget factory. We're now outsourcing that to other countries, So the factory line does not end from 9 to 5 and then you go home and you can't work more. Mm -hmm. It's literally service. You can have people call you at all hours of the night. Mm -hmm. You can do things for people all hours of the night. And that makes the service industry so much harder to ever say, okay, I'm done working. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's the question of we see back in 13th century, the peasants worked almost 300 hours less a year than the average American in 1987. And as we continually see technology increase, although you may not be on the clock for it, Mm -hmm. are you ever done working? That might be a question we start asking. Yeah, I mean, mean, just from experience, like with my dad, like he works during the week and we'll go golfing on Saturdays and stuff. And we'll be trying to have a golf round and he's like in between holes having to answer emails. And like (laughs) sometimes we're riding in the golf cart and he's got to take a call from someone. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just insane. He's needed like all the time. And it's like, okay, fine. He doesn't actually work that many hours, but actually he does because he's literally always on the phone. And I know this is the case for a lot of people. Um, You know, just like the large amount of our economy, like you were talking about service-based. I mean, you know, I know a couple people have done Uber and stuff like that, Um, or which is like either the taxi part of it or the food delivery part and, you know, that whole industry the gig economy yeah and it's like how are you supposed to plan on a vacation ahead of time you just (laughs) say ah no this week i just can't drive the car sorry like and uh it's just it's also weird because no one can build any routine Mm -hmm. like they just kind of have to one day you wake up and you're working all day and then the next two days you do literally nothing like i I don't 
And that's interesting. A lot of people would have almost killed for that. They used yeah. to be like, I wish to break away from the structure, the nine to five. I want to be my own boss. I mm -hmm. want to create my own schedule. And then it turns out people love structure. Yeah. You just naturally actually thrive under that structure. Mm -hmm. And people like Frederick Taylor for the father of kind of the scientific understanding of work and then Henry Ford mm -hmm. and all these people who actually found, oh, it turns out people do function well with that structure. Mm -hmm. And then when you're your own entrepreneur, you have to have a certain personality to thrive. Yeah. Because it is up to you. That's, yeah. Only, only type A work. people have ever done well without a structure. <laughs> like that's, um, you know, the guys who created FedEx or Steve Jobs at Apple or, you know, uh, Bezos at Amazon. Like these extremely, uh, it's not even, competent is not specific enough. It's these ex these extremely driven people who want, mm -hmm. they, they want more and more and more, which, you know, say whatever ambitious you want about of that. Its own. Yes, yeah. thank you. Ambitious, most obvious word. Um, and these extremely ambitious people are pretty much the only ones who can work without a schedule. But they're also the people who work the the most hours to get things done. And a lot of the people wishing for less structure is really just coming from a place of I want to be the boss. <laughs> um, not it's not that you want less structure. It's that you want to be in charge, which you know has its own host of problems. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm content in my job, like getting, I get my schedule like a month or two months at a time. And it's like, on these days, you're going to go work here. And I'm like, okay, that's sweet. I can plan it out ahead of time. I can plan out when I, you know, can take a couple days of vacation. I can plan out when I, you know, want to go golfing or something. So I like structure. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's an aside. Yeah, so we also see so this trend in our current society that's saying, okay, less structure of work, much more you do you when you want to. And it is just this, yeah, the postmodern thought. It's independence above all else, and it all is so interweaved. The more you analyze it, the more you realize, wow, these are not separate issues. Mm -hmm. The value of where we place work and what we want to do with our work is so tied to the secular age of saying, okay, I want to be my own boss, I want to make my own decisions, I want to serve myself. Mm. while justifying that I'm serving others. <laughs> Service, illusion. Yeah. Yeah, people are very, they're, uh, they're very atomized. They're cut off from, mm. you know, the community, the distinct communities, which they would have been in, you know, even a short time ago, where you have a defined church community, you have a defined work community, and you have, you know, your given community, which is your family. And all of those spheres, even though they overlap some, you would have been able to interact in every community. And now it's just, I, I do what I want, you know, that kind of thing. Like, you know, you go to the bar when you want, you go to the store and do your chores when you want, you go to work when you want, you do, you do whatever you want, whenever you want. And that's, that seems like a great thing. And it's actually not like yeah. giving people complete freedom to do whatever they want, um, would be great if they were good, but they're not, people aren't good. People are, they're vile and lascivious and lustful and you know they're cheaters and swindlers and slothful prideful they're everything they're all all people are bad in some yeah. particular ways and so expecting well, them would say men are neither angels nor demons yeah ex but expecting them to just give them complete freedom to do whatever they want like they're not going to do idiotic and evil things like of course they are so yeah. Kind of comes back to what Kruptos' whole point was that give people more choice was not actually a good thing. 
mm-hmm. people will tend to fall. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, is now a good time to start switching towards what we think we should reframe our work with? Start analyzing some quotes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had some quotes that you wanted to share with the audience. So Yeah. So taking some time to think through this episode, I was wondering, okay, so I've had this history of just really misrepresenting how I view work. I place such a weight of it on my identity. And if I did poorly in a class or if I feel like I didn't grasp the concept I learned as quickly, then all of a sudden, okay, I'm a stupid person. Okay, my work is going to be subpar. Okay, I'm not going to be able to do something for this world oh, I've been taught all my life that you need to like progress society. You need to do this thing. So I found this Marcus Aurelius quote, and I've read it before. I think it's in Meditations, mm-hmm. um, and it sounds like this is not something I completely agree with, but take some time to listen to it. So in the morning when thou risest unwillingly, let this thought be present. I'm rising to the work of a human being. Why then am I dissatisfied if I'm going to do the things for which I exist and for which I was brought into the world? Or have I been made for this, to lie in the bed, clothes, and keep myself warm? So I earlier asked this question, what is the first thought when you go to bed at night and the first thought when you rise up in the morning? Is it this dread of work? Is it this joy of work? What is that thought? And I want you to really ask yourself, how does this mindset really set the pace for my whole day? Because I've noticed that when I start my day with some sort of prayer or some sort of gratitude or some sort of positive thought of the work I'm about to do, then your day is going to instantly be a lot better. Mm. Uh, And Marcus Aurelius mentions here, he's dissatisfied with what he's doing. But if the work of a human being is what we're created for, then how can I be dissatisfied? Mm. It's like you create a product, say it's a Say it's a simple phone mm-hmm. that's meant to call someone. It calls people again and again and again. It's bored with that, but that's what it was made for. And Marcus Aurelius, in a very secular mindset, saying, okay, human beings, what's this one common denominator among all of us? Mm-hmm. We all have to work. And here he's a Roman emperor. So the peasant would say, oh, his work's nothing like mine, but he's working. And so yet we find the grass is greener on the other side. We always want to be doing something that we are currently not. Our work never seems to satisfy us. Whether you are the Michael Jordan, the Tom Brady of your sport, or whether you are in the really the alleyways of your profession that sound like you are trapped from a financial standpoint, trapped from other issues, uh, we see that there's dissatisfaction there. Um, and so if work is the reason that I exist, then I exist essentially only for myself. Mm. We can always justify it saying, okay, I'm serving others. But Christians specifically live not of their own accord. And I ask you to consider this because it is a very tough concept to grasp. I realize that every day I'm still kind of indoctrinated with saying, okay, I have to work for this today versus saying, no, I get to work because although I need to work as a human being, that's not what I was created for. Something completely separate from the work that I do. And I'll mention it later, but it has become such a religious divisive topic as well. Mm. You see whole religious different uh, denominations and really the sects become because of this question of, okay, is work necessary? Is work this outpouring of the spirit? Is work something that you need for salvation? Is work something that we should be considered more heavily, less heavily? Mm -hmm. What is work? 
and it's something we think about every day. Why do you go to school? Well, I have to get a job somewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, you meet someone new. Oh, what do you do? Yeah, I know. That's the question, right? Uh, it becomes almost the first thing on our mind in every situation we encounter and has become the bedrock of so much suffering, so much sorrow, and also so much joy and progress and success. So uh, before I mention this Kipper quote, curious if you have anything about Marcus Aurelius's quote, um, just how you see dissatisfaction in the work. I think, uh, well, what you mentioned about how it's like so much part of our identity. I mean, it's so pervasive everywhere that it's basically invisible. I mean, we're so used to it that we don't even have the context to realize like that it's everywhere basically. And it's not that it's not that we're trying to say, you know, that we're taking a side here and we're saying, okay, well work is bad. Like that's not what we're saying. <laughs> Stop working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No more working. <laughs> Bring the world economy to a halt. No, don't do that. But uh it's like we are to work heartily and we're to work for the Lord. We were to work for the Lord as if we were working for him, as if he were our boss. Mm-hmm. Because it's true. But at the same time, like work uh, is part of the, or at least at least the way we consider work, work now, work is part of the fall. I mean, Adam's punishment, Eve's is different. Eve's is pain and childbearing, and Adam's is to toil the, the soil all of his days. Um, and so, like, yes, we can still do temporally good things, and we ought to work. We ought to work in a way that glorifies God, but it doesn't mean that, you know, it's eternally good that we're, you know, pushing papers at the office all day. That's actually not an eternal good. It's a temporal good or it's something neutral, but it's not eternally good to send an email to Jennifer, the CFO of blah, blah, blah. Hey, you're, you're a person got in trouble for this and they signed an NDA and we're about to hire them. What's up with that? You know, like that's actually not eternally good and you don't have to pretend it's eternally good, but you ought to do it with goodwill and with a smile on your face, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, and I have a slightly slightly different view, pretty similar, but how, I mean, work was made perfect in the garden and how the fall changed. It didn't create work for humans, but changed the nature of work. Yeah, And so that's something that uh, is another, it's a question of saying, have you associated work with suffering and kind of sin and an imperfect world all your life? Or is there a way that you can view work in a perfect sense? Because in this world where we get tired with work, work is exhausting. It's very hard to frame our mindset that way. But I think that's another step of asking, how can I view work in a way that in its proper form and proper nature is perfect, it is truly good? Uh, because work is a form of worship. It's a form of saying that you are blessed to be alive and you get to just do this out of the outpouring of your spirit. And you think of kids. I think kids are such a great example. When they're young, uh, on a summer day, mm-hmm. you don't see kids usually just laying in the grass like, oh, I'm so glad I don't get to work today. No. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually going to switch the season, not a summer day. Let's make it the winter because this hits personally. I used to spend hours outside trying to build snow forts. Mm. My parents would probably thinking, oh, that's so dumb. The snow's just going to melt, right? Mm-hmm. You're building something so temporary. Yet as a kid, there's such a joy of saying, I'm going to do this with my hands. I'm going to create this, not because I want to impress someone else or because I just want to go in it, but just because there's snow there. Mm-hmm. And I can't let it just sit there doing nothing but looking pretty. I want mm-hmm. to build. I want to create. And the outpouring of joy for work in its purest sense, I think, is just so 
childlike and as we're called to be more like children, there's a joy in that work that adults, we lose it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It becomes so separate from our psyche and it becomes so segmented saying, oh, am I getting paid for it? Oh, am I on the clock? No. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't need to play in the snow. I don't need to shovel. <laughs> or it's kind of like, I get to shovel snow and build a big pile. Yeah. This is so cool. I get to fashion snow with my hands and build a big fort and then get to crawl inside and dig it out and then try to sleep in there. <laughs> I think the childlike work that you brought up like, actually plays into what probably has been at the back of everyone's mind during the whole conversation, which is the famous verse, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Or alternative translations, you cannot serve both God and money. Um, and everything that kids do in their child in their childlike work that you're describing, um, building a snow fort. I always sucked at building those, by the way, <laughs> but uh, the, it was fun to try. And snowball fights are fun, mm. but you know, none of them are doing it for money. And money is one of those. Money is one of the few things that we have to put up with in a temporal world. Like we kind of have to. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not good that we do because. Money is one of those things, like there are a lot of things that will be in heaven, you know, maybe some form of work will be in heaven, you know, Paul says, do you not know that you will judge angels? That kind of seems like a form of work. Um, is worship, is, is work a form of worship, I should say, because obviously there's worship in heaven. And those are conversations that, you know, you can kind of hold in the back of your mind for a later time, but we know there's no money in heaven. There's no need for it, because it's so, it's so empty, there's no... There's no emotion or thought put behind it. It's X for Y. It's it's yeah. just a a check mark on a sheet of paper, and you know money is money is the thing that obscures a lot of this conversation. And you, sh- I'm not saying that all money is bad or that you should stop working or any of that, but it is worth noting that maybe you know in our modern materialistic capitalistic culture, we give a little too high of you know a place to money when it's it's God or money. You actually God says, Jesus says that you get one or the other. Yeah. And so when when evaluating the last, I don't know, hundred and thirty ish years of American history since the Gilded Age, have we gotten more godly or have we gotten less godly as we've put money more and more to the forefront? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's very clearly we've become less. Uh, and if anyone begs to differ, I'd love you to email and mm-hmm. have your argument for that. But mm-hmm. uh, there's this, yeah, just this general trend I think we see as a society progresses and sees that nothing they can do is progress, is progress, and money is going to get them to success. Then we see that what's going to be kind of left on the wayside. Mm-hmm. And in the future, I think we see all of religion. Because what is religion? It's something separate from the material products we can make and the tangibles we can see, mm-hmm. something beyond. Uh, and that yeah. ties directly into our work. Because in religions where you can't work for it, in a society that values work above all else, you're going to see an increasing disparity of saying, wait, how can I be saved if I don't work for it? It's mm-hmm. going to become so foreign because all we think of is being able to work for what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the flip side, I guess the communist mindset is saying, I don't have to work for what I do, but I still am working for the community and the commune, mm-hmm. and this work is kind of a part of me, but it's still so tied to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, like war even, mm-hmm. it's often tied to that basis of, like, I want more workers, or I want this power from that work, or I want some sort of success from this work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so underline all else, 
exactly see the work yeah. dilemma. Yeah. I mean, once again, it's it's so pervasive that it's invisible, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, and just look, you know, going back to like we're both pretty much in agreement that since 1890-ish, we've gotten less godly. But, you know, since 1890, the GDPs, you know, keep ticking up. People make more and more money. They have more and more things. Um, and at the same time, if you look over the exact same time frame, there's declining, first of all, there's declining... Uh, tithing in churches. Yeah, declining tithing in churches, people going to church. Now they're declining belief in God. I mean, how could you have a... How could you have a country with no history of public atheism? None. They had deism. A country with no history of public atheism is all of a sudden in the 1990s and 2000s uh, the, the hot spot and the heart of the new atheist movement. Mm. How is that possible? Well, I mean, maybe take a peek at that GDP chart and the wages chart. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's, not, it's not one of those things that's comfortable to talk about or to confront, but, you know... We, uh, there's, God's justice can't sleep forever if he's not going to keep turning a blind eye to the bad things that we do. And there are, there are worse things that we, you know, have done in America and that particular people in America and particular groups in America have done. But, you know, this is, this is kind of the obvious one. We, we give a really, really high preference to money and people who work hard. And I think that it's good for people to work hard, but it's not good for people to work hard for the wrong reasons. That's so true. And then moving on to Abraham Kipper's quote. So he was the Netherlands prime minister in kind of 1900, 1904, uh, early 1900s. And so he has this quote that says, wherever man may stand, whatever he may do, to whatever he may apply his hand in agriculture, in commerce, and in industry, or his mind in the world of art and science, he is, in whatsoever it may be, constantly standing before the face of God. He is employed in the service of God. He is strictly to obey God, and above all, he has to aim to the glory of God. End quote. And yeah, we see that I think this perfectly encapsulates whether you are in any sector of work, whatever you're doing, your value is not not tied to the nature of that work. Because I'm not going to spoil the quote yet, so nothing's going to, but uh, the nature of your work is really just just unnecessary from a mindset that says your identity is not found in your work. Mm-hmm. And that becomes so hard to accept if you think about it. Like if you are a professional athlete, if you're a doctor, if you're this lawyer, think of the big three, we always say, oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And then if you work at, say, a mechanic shop or you work at McDonald's or you work at one of these places that seem just kind of like the bottom rung of the ladder, then how many times are you going to have people say, wow, I'm so grateful for what you do. This is great service. Mm -hmm. Because we place that value of work on that person, but they are completely separable things. And here we have this quote saying, whatever you do, know that you are constantly standing before the face of God. That work you do, it's not actually for humans. It's not just for progressing society. It's not for the GDP. It's not for this current cultural moment. It is for your creator, and you are employed in the service, and you are being obedient with what you have been given. You've been gifted. Whatever you have in your circumstances, high or low, you've been gifted this, to be obedient with it and to aim to the glory of God. We could even stop there, but we'll yeah. go on. <laughs> we'll keep going. Go. It's all downhill from here, folks. <laughs> dun, 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 dun.
Yes. So I don't think there's much to expand on there. I mean, it's pretty clear cut. Mm. Uh, I can kind of get into my final rant before you say whatever you want, if you're good with that. Yeah, I'm good. Let's go. Fire away, as Chris Stapleton says. (laughs) So in recent years, I've had to accept this one statement that I think was so hard for me to accept, say, five years ago, even last week on some (laughs) moments. So here's the quote. Write this down. God will never love you more than he does right now. I repeat, God will never love you more than he does right now. Think about that. Because, I mean, that is what they say in church. Oh, God's love is unconditional, right? But do you believe that? Because so often we still have these humanly relationships that tell you, oh, I have to do something that actually makes them love me more. Even with parents, like I want to please my father. I want to bring joy to my mother. Mm -hmm. These things of these humanly relationships say, okay, they're going to love me more if I do more of this good work. But no, it's all been a lie because God will never love you more than he does right now. Simple and a statement. And this statement is so powerful because the Christians who don't know and the secular world that doesn't know their creator and even those of us who kind of want to believe it but can't accept it all have been jaded with this conditional love of humans. Uh, And it takes this conscious effort of redefining and re-examining how we see the work we do. And so there has been and always will be this kind of this struggle this fight for work and identity and work and our value and our worth because we like to look to things to reference why do people in a neighborhood that's richer all of a sudden start buying nice things we look around us and we want to be similar we want to fit in And so when there's someone that says, I will never love you more than who you are right now, I'm not satisfied with where you are right now, but I will never love you more than where you are right now. That is such a freeing statement that says, whatever work I may do, as long as serving and obedient to God, I do it and I take joy in that. Mm. Uh, Not that it's going to be easy, not that it's going to be just a walk in the park, but that there's freedom in that. You'll never have this father that you have to become an expert pianist and a world-renowned doctor and pioneer a new term of surgery and uh, become a Fortune 500 company CEO and raise a perfect family and have kids go off to college on full-ride scholarships and have a perfect spouse that then to please that person because that's a humanly relationship. It is unconditional. Yeah. The way, we didn't have this in the show notes, but the way the Bible defines love, I pulled it up because you were talking about how God will mm. never love us. Uh, what did you say? God will yeah, never. Yeah, more than he, he already does loves right you. now. Okay, yeah. yes. And so Paul defines love in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and I'm just going to read it here. Mm. Probably a lot of you, if you're Christian, you've heard this before, but it's worth repeating. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. 
For you know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, ever, even as I have been fully known. And so the love that you're talking about between parents and children, it's not that it's bad, but it's a dim reflection of the real love that God has for us. And the love that God has for us is different from any kind of love that exists uh, anywhere in, yeah. in nature that we've ever been able in to observe experience. or think about. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, uh, what a God we worship, man. <laughs> Amen. That's so true. Mm. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I close it up? No, I think it was... Uh, it was good to hit everyone over the head with, with scripture. That's what you. I you, hit myself over the head here. Yeah. It's what you <laughs> filthy heathens it. listening to this podcast need. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just to recap, we discussed kind of the modern culture. Look around, ask yourself where do I see hustle culture influencing my life? Where do I see quiet quitting? What do I see in the news? What's the common tie? Because my speech and debate coach would always say, follow the money. In every debate, every speech and debate argument, you could always tie it back to that. It's kind of the core issue that leads to the resolution. And then we discussed history. So if work started in the garden as this perfect conception and the nature of it changed in the fall, how does that change how we actually work in our lives? We talked about how work has changed from the Protestant uh, kind of work ethic basis and medieval eras and modern times. We introduced some quotes that I think are good to re-listen to. And then close it up with knowing that your creator will never love you more for whatever you do than he does right now. Oof. So mm -hmm. I ask that tonight when you go to bed, ask yourself, what am I thinking of right now? If it is of the nature of work, try to think differently. Think better about how that is going to improve your life. And ask yourself, how much is my identity dependent on what I do and who I'm doing it for. So, mm. with, Amen. With that, <laughs> this has been episode 14 of The Crux of the Matter. If you're going to work, work better. We'll see you guys next time. Mm.